Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our day to do loving-kindness meditation together. I'll be guiding you in a loving-kindness meditation practice to help you work on cultivating loving-kindness in the mind. What loving-kindness is, is it's a genuine interest in seeing all beings be well. It's a practice of goodwill, having nothing but good, wholesome intentions for all beings, including yourself as well. What this does is by cultivating loving kindness in meditation, it then makes it more easy for you to practice loving kindness in daily life, where you can be polite, kind, friendly, and respectful with all beings around you. This meditation is for you. It's to train your mind. If you were to just do loving kindness meditation, and that's it, you wouldn't actually see any results in your life, truly. I mean, just maybe a little bit, some marginal results. It's when you cultivate loving kindness and meditation, and then you take it into your daily life where you start practicing loving kindness through your intentions, your speech, and your actions that you will see things transform and change in your life. Because if we go around being hateful or vindictive or resentful or we have anger or ill will towards others, then as we treat people that way more and more in our life, that's what's going to come back to us because people are going to get conditioned to treat us that way as well. But what you're doing in this path to enlightenment is not trying to change other people. So our meditation isn't to change other people because that's impossible. What you're actually doing is you're using loving kindness meditation to transform your mind, to let go of any anger, hatred, ill will, all the lesser versions of that, like frustration, irritation, annoyance, even dislike, just like, I don't like this person, and even resentment, things like this. By you training the mind in meditation to let that go, then you open up the mind to being able to practice in daily life being polite, kind, friendly, and respectful to people through your intentions, your speech, and your actions. And the Buddha gives more details on what right intention, right speech, and right action is. And as you do this, what you're going to find is that people will start to associate this love and this kindness, this compassion, this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well and peaceful with you as a person. 
And when they see you smiling and they see you having all these good, wholesome intentions and you're speaking with them so politely and kindly, maybe slipping in a yes, ma'am or a yes, sir, you know, just being a genuinely respectful, good, wholesome being through your intention, speech and actions over time, this becomes easier and easier for you because you've eliminated the pollution of the mind that's inhibiting you from practicing that way. But then as you practice this way more and more, your family, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, people in your community start to associate with these good, wholesome qualities like, oh, here comes Johnny. You know, he is so wonderful to talk to. He's always so positive and kind and respectful. People are going to be that way with you. Or look, here comes Martino. Oh my goodness, this guy is so loving. Barbara, wait until you meet him. He is always so kind. And the word starts to travel that this person is just so loving and kind. They're always polite, friendly, respectful. Not that you're trying to create that. Not that you're craving that. Not that you're desiring for this good reputation to circulate about you. But I'm sharing with you what will happen as you build your gamma. This is your gamma. The cause and effect or action and result by you choosing to practice loving kindness meditation and by you choosing to practice loving kindness in daily life, well, the result is that you're going to have more healthy personal and professional relationships. You will see things will gradually improve in your life. So purging all of that anger, hatred, ill will, frustration, irritation, annoyance, all that stuff, all the resentment that the mind holds on to from the past of things that happen, purging all of that from the mind, now you can feel the brightness and the brilliance of the enlightened mind and you can start practicing, not just meditation, but you can practice the whole Eightfold Path in daily life and you'll see that life will improve for you. So thank you all for choosing to learn and practice these teachings. It's one of the best things, if not the best thing, that you could ever do for your life, for those close to you and all of humanity. And here on Wednesday, people are invited to learn and do breathing mindfulness meditation, loving kindness meditation, and we also do chanting as well. And then on Sundays, we take a chapter from this book and we cover a chapter from this book, which you can download or you can take it and go print it, or you can get a printed copy yourself. On September 1st, we're going to be restarting this program from the beginning. This is actually the very end of the program now. So if you're just catching us for the first time, you can start coming here on Sunday and Wednesday at the same time. And you'll see that we'll be covering topics related to the Buddhist teachings and the path to enlightenment so that the more you learn and you gain the wisdom of the Buddhist teachings, you don't believe it but you practice it and see it transform your mind so that you can get to this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy where you no longer experience any discontent feelings. And this is where life is just so wonderful and so beautiful because you're no longer feeling bored or lonely or shy or unsatisfied, displeased, you know, all the misery and despair from your life's gone but you have to work at it. You have to work at it. It takes time to work at it. But it's one of the most rewarding things because as you improve the condition of the mind, it doesn't revert backwards once you progress to a certain point. You 
are creating the improvement to the mind that actually becomes permanent changes that once you get to that first stage of enlightenment it won't regress or it won't backslide from there so the way that we do loving kindness meditation is we start out with breathing mindfulness meditation first this is a technique that the buddha prioritized as being the most important meditation and the one that really does a lot of transformation to the mind is this breathing mindfulness meditation where we're just focused on the breath and i'll give you guidance on that once we get into the meditation after we do that for a period of time then we'll go into loving kindness meditation where i will say affirmations and we're basically creating these rings the first one will be may i be peaceful may i be safe may i be well may i be free of discontentedness and the suffering it causes well, when I say that, you repeat it in the mind quietly and you do that on the out breath. Each time you hear the phrase that I say, when you get to your next out breath, just repeat that in the mind. May I be peaceful. And you're cultivating this peacefulness and this genuine interest in seeing this being be well. And after we go through those four affirmations, then we're going to expand it. A little bit we're gonna say may we be peaceful meaning those of us who are meditating together may we be safe may we be well maybe we be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes then we're going to go to another ring wider and wider and wider until eventually we get to all beings now this meditation like i said it's to transform your mind but this transformation isn't going to happen in just one meditation, right? It's not like this mystical, magical thing. You need to gradually wear away this anger, hatred, and ill will. It didn't develop in one meditation session, so it's not going to be eliminated in just a 20 or 30 minute meditation session. It's a gradual wearing away of the pollution of the mind. Loving kindness meditation isn't to change other people and try to get other people to be loving and kind to us. Instead, we're changing our mind. And then by us improving our practice that we go out into the world and we treat people polite, kind, friendly, and respectful, gradually over time, this is what we will see come back to us. So we'll do that meditation of loving kindness for a period of time. Then on the backside, we'll do a little bit more breathing mindfulness meditation just to kind of clear out the mind and ease it out of the meditation and then we'll open up to any questions so if you have questions about loving kindness meditation breathing mindfulness meditation or anything along this path of the buddhist teachings that the path to enlightenment you can ask any questions you like we'll open things up and have some discussion so that you can get some insight into helping you develop your practice and if you notice, I'll do chant at the beginning and I'll do a chant at the end. And if you know those chants, you're welcome to chant along. But I'll just do some guidance along the way to kind of help you with your practice. Is there anybody that has any questions on how we're going to be doing our meditation today? Seems we have no questions, David. Okay, so let's go ahead and get into your meditation position. With loving kindness, we usually do it in the seated lying or standing positions if you're in the seated position you'd like your lower body to be comfortable 
If you're on the floor, you probably would like to lightly cross your legs, put a cushion under your rear to get the hips up so you lessen that angle at the hips, the knees, and the ankles. If you're in a chair, you just have your lower body comfortable. Maybe you're crossing the ankles. Maybe your feet are flat on the floor. It's not about everyone doing it exactly the same way because that's impossible because of impermanence. Instead, it's about making your lower body stable and comfortable, not luxurious and not painful because that wouldn't be the middle way. Instead, comfortable. The hands and the arms, those should be in the lap. Typically, we put the right hand over the left with the thumbs together. But again, if that's not comfortable, you find what's comfortable. Maybe palms on your thighs, palms on the knees, arms on the armrest, whatever works best for you. Then once your lower body, the hands and arms are in position, you would like your upper body to be nice and erect. This is going to keep the mind attentive and alert. If the spine is slouched, the mind's going to have a tendency to slack off. Or if you're too rigid, the mind's going to be too uptight. So you'd like to find that middle where there's erectness in the upper body. The upper body's straight. That helps to keep the mind attentive and alert because we're going to be doing some work during the meditation. Your meditation should be an active, dedicated, purposeful training session to eliminate unwholesome qualities of the mind and cultivate wholesome qualities of the mind. So we're gonna actually be doing work during the meditation to eliminate unwholesome and arise or cultivate the wholesome. Next, just close the eyes and start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. The breath is gonna be your free will You breathe naturally as you feel comfortable, taking a nice gradual breath in through the nose, experiencing the full breath, and then exhaling through the nose, experiencing the full breath. Your breath may not match up to the guidance that I'm providing, and that's completely fine because this is your practice. This voice is just here to remind you to breathe in and out. Start establishing a nice, natural breath. You're not interested in it being forced or controlled. Just a nice gradual breath in through the nose, experiencing the full breath. And then exhale, experiencing the full exhale, a nice, gradual, steady breath. You continue to focus on the breath, establishing your inhale and your exhale. I'm going to do some chanting to ease us into meditation. If you'd like to join, you're welcome to join these chants. And then I'll be back with some more guidance. Om. 
So you just breathe in wherever it's the appropriate time, experiencing the full breath. Breathe in through the nose. As you gradually come to the top of that exhale, inhale, notice the gap as you transition slowly to the exhale. And then at the bottom of the exhale, notice that gap as you transition back to a nice, full, natural inhale through the nose. There's a gap. And then there's an exhale. With another gap. 
Start focusing the mind on this breath. Focus the mind on the sound of the breath coming into the nose. Breathing in. Observing the gap. Observing the exhale. And then observing the gap as you transition to the inhale. Breathing in. And out. Breathing in. and out. You should start being able to fixate the mind on the sound of the breath or the sensation of air moving over the skin into the body. The breath is the present moment. Fixating the mind on the breath, the present moment, it can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. You can still the mind, quiet the mind by focusing on the breath, the present moment. Breathing in and out. Whenever you notice that the mind is not on the breath, you're going to cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath. Because I'm going to be quiet here soon. Let you do this work. Focusing on the breath. And any time the mind is not on the breath, cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath. Breathing in and out. As the mind wanders off the breath, there's no need to label the thoughts. There's no need to analyze them or figure out where they're coming from. You haven't done anything wrong there's no guilt, there's no shame. This is just the mind wandering, having craving, desire, attachment, not being interested to stay in the present moment. But wherever you notice it's not on the breath, it's not on the present moment, you cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath pulling the mind back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in and out. Breathing in 
and out. I'm going to be quiet now and let you do this work with breathing mindfulness meditation. Then I'll be back with some more guidance for loving kindness. You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do right now. No one needs you. This is your time to focus on the breath. Breathing in. and out.
continuing to stay focused on the breath. On the exhale, repeat this affirmation in the mind. May I be peaceful. May I be safe. discontentedness and the suffering it causes. peaceful. May we be safe. discontentedness and the suffering it causes. that are my family be peaceful.
may they be safe. be free of all discontentedness in the suffering he causes. that are my friends be peaceful. May they be safe. free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. peaceful. May they be safe.
may they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. peaceful. May all beings be safe. beings be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. back to breathing mindfulness meditation, focusing on the breath, wherever you notice that the mind's not on the breath, cut it off and let it go, breathing in, and out.
to slowly make your way out of meditation. Breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation are the two things that Gautama Buddha said are the absolute best thing you can do for your gamma or for the results, the outcomes of your life. Remember, Gamma, or the natural law of gamma, is cause and effect, or action and result. Based on the decisions we make, there are certain outcomes that we experience. So by training the mind in breathing mindfulness meditation and loving-kindness meditation, he described these as being the absolute best things you could ever do for your life in terms of improving the outcomes of what you experience in life. Because by training your mind, with breathing mindfulness meditation, you're cultivating awareness of mind or mindfulness. You're eliminating craving, desire, attachment. You're training the mind to reside in the present moment. This is beneficial for you in your daily life. 
that you will make better decisions through your daily life because your mind will be more steady, more calm, more peaceful. And likewise, training and loving kindness meditation, you're eradicating anger, hatred, ill will, all those lesser versions and resentment. With those things diminishing and being eliminated from the mind, you won't treat others hatefully or with anger. And this is one of the best things you can do for your life. So that's why the Buddha prioritized these two as being the most important things you can do for your life practice and developing wholesome gamma. So let's turn things over to you guys, see what questions you guys have related to meditation or anything along this path. We're coming to the close of our seven-month group learning program where we've learned over the last seven months for Sunday and Wednesday a lot of different teachings and we've done a lot of practice of meditation together and next Sunday this Sunday coming up we'll have our very very last class for this iteration of the group learning program which is the five hindrances so if you guys have any questions whatsoever this would be a great time to get any clarifications and then you might decide to repeat this program again you might decide to move into our Pali Canon in English study group, which is on Saturdays at the same time, 9 p.m. Thai time, to continue your progress and growth on this path to enlightenment. The way that you ask questions is you put your comments into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Our moderators will see that and then get your question asked during the class. And if you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow-up questions that you like. Hi, David. On Sunday's class, we've discussed a bit about how to determine if you're enlightened. And in the book, you mentioned that it can be helpful to consider that we're already enlightened, but our minds are blocked by certain defilements, for instance. And I was wondering if you could expand on that and also discuss whether or not loving kindness meditation is that a way to essentially uncover this enlightened mind. Sure. So there's kind of two approaches or two ways of thinking about enlightenment. One way is that you need to attain it, that there's this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy that's permanent. The mind is polluted with craving, anger, ignorance, the unknowing of true reality, these 10 fetters, and you need to remove all of this pollution in order to attain this mental state where the mind will be permanently peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. Well, that's the way I tend to think about it. I also think about it as experiencing enlightenment rather than attaining it. Because for some people, if you think this way, this can be motivating. This can persuade you. And you can look at this as an active practice of, I need to attain this and let me now work towards that goal. And that's one way to think about enlightenment. But if you're finding yourself having craving, desire, attachment, like you really want enlightenment, you just want it so badly. Well, another way to think about it in order to reduce and maybe eliminate that craving, desire, attachment is rather than think about you have to attain something like you don't have it. So therefore you need to attain it is think about it as the mind is already enlightened there's this natural state that the mind has. It's the enlightened mental state. And the mind is already enlightened. 
But there's all this pollution that's in the way from you experiencing that enlightened mental state. There's those three poisons, craving, anger, ignorance, the unknowing of true reality. There's those 10 fetters and everything else that we eradicate from the mind as part of this path to enlightenment. So if you think about it as you already have a mind that is enlightened and there's just this cloudiness or this pollution that's inhibiting you from experiencing what the fully enlightened mind is, then that can actually help you reduce the craving to attain it because you've already got it. And this kind of goes along with as you get closer to enlightenment, you kind of have these experiences where for a few hours or a few days, for a few weeks, you experience what enlightenment's like. And it's like, whoa, the mind is just so peaceful, calm, serene and content with joy. But then a week or two or three or a month or two or three, boom, some discontentedness comes in. So it was almost like temporary enlightenment. There's no such thing as truly temporary enlightenment because enlightenment is permanent. But for that week or that month, or sometimes in meditation, you can experience a few seconds where the mind's just utterly peaceful. That kind of lends itself to the understanding that, yeah, the mind's already enlightened. There's just all this pollution in the way, all these defilements, all these taints. Let me just clear that stuff out of the way so that I can experience this enlightened mental state permanently. And it becomes more and more permanent where you get longer and longer periods of time where the mind's completely peaceful. So this can help you to eliminate any kind of craving or longing or strong eagerness for enlightenment itself, because you need to eliminate all craving, desire, attachment, even for enlightenment itself. Loving kindness meditation is absolutely part of the path. The Buddha taught it as a primary teaching and practice in order to liberate the mind. And what are you liberating the mind from? You're liberating the mind from discontentedness as a whole on the path. But loving kindness meditation itself is liberating the mind from anger, hatred, ill will, and all the lesser versions, along with resentment. So you're liberating the mind from all of these strong feelings by cultivating loving kindness and meditation. But then you have to do something with it. You have to go out into the world and be polite, kind, friendly, and respectful through your intentions, your speech, and your actions and doing that with all beings. Because if you have something that happened to you 5, 10, 20 years ago, and the mind is harboring resentment for that individual, and you have anger, and let's say you've done everything else on this path, but that one individual you still have hatred for, or anger, or resentment, the mind's not enlightened. You literally need to cultivate loving kindness in meditation and outside of meditation through your practice for all beings. It doesn't mean you have to go back to that person and somehow rectify the situation or resolve anything. But in the mind, you have to release any kind of anger, hatred, ill will that's being held. Because if you maintain that, then the mind's not enlightened. You need to cultivate loving kindness in these other healthy mental states for all beings in the entire world. You can't have any kind of anger, hatred, ill will towards anyone at all. And it's loving kindness meditation and our practice of loving kindness in daily life that allows us to do that. Now, there are certain situations, even through meditating, doing loving kindness, 
and then going out in the world where you just feel icky. You just feel like there's this wall between you and this other person and you just don't feel like talking to that person whatsoever. This is the aversion that the mind has erected, putting a wall between you and other people. And this is what's hindering you from having open, healthy relationships with all people. And this is the reason why you're doing loving kindness meditation to break that wall down. So you should include those people or those groups of people that you have this wall, this aversion towards. Put them in your loving kindness meditation. So then when you're in the presence of those people or those types of people that you're able to then be loving and kind. And it's not going to feel probably comfortable at first when you start coming around those people. There's this wall there. It feels icky. You don't really want to break through it. But as long as you hold on to this anger, hatred, or will and this wall between you and them, you're just inhibiting your own enlightenment. You're inhibiting your own brightness of mind where you can have loving and kind relationships with all people in the world. And that's what will produce the best results for you. Where if you harbor anger towards any particular person or any particular group of people, now when you come in contact with those people, you can't have healthy relationships, both personally and professionally. And this is hurting you in terms of your life, that you can't experience this liberation, this freedom of being able to get along with all people. There's only certain types of people that you can get along with. And the mind is inhibited. It's trapped. It's stuck. It can't get along with these other people because the mind doesn't have the wisdom of how to do that. So the way that you do it is you practice loving kindness meditation. And then even in situations where there's this ickiness and this wall, you smile, you break through that wall in terms of mentally, you still maintain being polite, kind, friendly, and respectful. And then it gets easier and easier each time you're in that situation. And this allows you to then have healthy relationships with all beings, personally and professionally. You mentioned that we can have this experience that's somewhat like temporary enlightenment. And I was wondering about that because we can have that experience, but then given that our mind is still unenlightened, it's going to go back to an unenlightened state and it's going to perhaps have craving for this. So I was wondering, do you have any advice on how we can avoid conditioning our internal feelings on this impermanent peace of mind that we may experience in this temporary enlightenment? Yeah, so what James is talking about is when you experience that one week or one month of complete peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, and it feels like enlightenment, and then discontentedness comes in. And what James is saying is, you know, how do we avoid creating pleasant feelings based on this one week or one month of peacefulness that we experienced? Well, the way that you do that is never convince yourself that you're enlightened, number one. So you experience a week, two weeks, a month, three months, six months, a year of peacefulness. Don't ever convince the mind, oh, wow, look at me, I'm enlightened. Because as soon as you do, that's the arrogance and pride coming in and the mind's not enlightened. And as soon as you convince yourself you're enlightened, there's a tendency to be sluggish and complacent. And then the mind's not enlightened because you're not practicing the enlightenment factor of energy. So when you're experiencing any period of time of peacefulness, 
don't get boastful in the mind. Of course, you're not saying it to other people, but even internally in the mind, don't be like, oh, wow, look at me. My meditation so great. Look at me. I'm so wonderful. Because as soon as you allow that to come in there, that's when everything comes crashing down. So when you're experiencing that peacefulness, just experience it. Just stay in the groove. Be unaffected. Okay, something happens over here. Okay, no big deal. Something happens over here. Okay, you know, you handle it, you address it, you make wise decisions. Because even when the mind's enlightened, there's still impermanence in the world. You just know how to deal with it. You just know how to operate through these natural laws of existence. Before, in the unenlightened state, the mind didn't know how to operate within these natural laws of existence. That's why it kept creating its own discontentedness. But now, as you experience these longer and longer periods of peacefulness, you would like to maintain that. So when impermanence comes in and you sense that the mind may be experiencing some uncomfortableness, right away, just cut that off and let it go. And when you're experiencing that peacefulness, don't allow the mind to take pleasure and joy in the fact that you're experiencing that peacefulness. One of the things that the Buddha says in the Four Noble Truths is he says how we shouldn't crave existence, like existing in the world. We shouldn't crave existing in the world. But he also says we shouldn't crave non-existence as well. That's the other side. So when you think about the middle way, you shouldn't crave this peacefulness and you shouldn't be disgruntled when the mind is sad or angry. Instead, if you notice that the mind is experiencing peacefulness, okay, just reside unaffected in the middle, steady, calm, unagitated. Hmm. Just sometimes I remind myself, wow, the Buddha was surely a wise man. He taught 2,500 years ago, and his teachings today are still producing those results of peaceful minds. That's quite amazing. So rather than put your pride and your arrogance into, wow, look at me, look how great my mind is. Oh, I'm so peaceful. I know these Buddhist teachings. I'm so wonderful. Nobody else in the world knows them. I'm the only one or, you know, my group or my community is the only one. Instead of thinking that way at all, just be humble be peaceful, be thankful that you've experienced a week or two weeks or a month of peacefulness and just continue forward in life. There's a saying, people say before enlightenment, carry wood or carry water and wash dishes or something like that. And then after enlightenment, carry wood, wash dishes, carry water, whatever, right? So it's just like, yeah, it's quite amazing when the mind can get to that level of peace and joy that enlightenment is. And you would have never fathomed that that's even possible before you ever encountered these teachings. But as the mind gets closer and closer to that, you just have to think of it as almost like a non-issue. It's kind of like, oh, you have $100 in your pocket? Okay, that's nice. How's your mom doing? Oh, You've eliminated discontentedness. Oh, that's nice. How's your mom doing? Right. So it's, rather than kind of bolstering the ego and thinking you're we're so great because the mind is so peaceful, just think of it as just something normal that's able to occur 
and it will gradually improve and, and increase, but don't take it as you're some kind of special class of person or you're better than everyone else because that's the conceit coming in. And as soon as that happens, the mind's not enlightened. It's going to lose its peacefulness. So you just stay in the groove and you just keep chopping wood, carrying water, washing dishes. But you do it joyfully and peacefully because the mind's not experiencing any disgruntledness whatsoever. You mentioned that we continue to carry wood and wash dishes. Is this a way of signifying that with enlightenment and on this path, it's not that our actions and our conventional life changes, but the way that we relate to it? Exactly, James. Your life is going to be whatever life you create. You know, if you've got a certain occupation, if you've got a certain life partner, if you've got children, if you do certain things on a daily basis, all of that stuff is still going to be there as you go move closer and closer to enlightenment. You're just going to do it more peacefully and joyfully without any disgruntledness, without any misery, without any guilt or shame or negative feelings or no arguing, no uh, none of that kind of stuff. You're mind is going to be utterly stable and content. And while attaining enlightenment is truly a wonderful thing, any being, even attaining the first, second, third stage of enlightenment, let alone the fourth stage, but any being who attains enlightenment, it's truly a wonderful thing to have enlightened people in the world because they can add so much value to society to help other people to attain this mental state. So it's truly a wonderful thing. But it's not like when you attain enlightenment, someone's going to come out from the curtains and give you some award. There's not like a podium like the Olympics that you go up on the podium and you get a gold award or a platinum award or something, you know. So while it's a wonderful thing to have enlightened people in the world, you need to look at it as just like, okay, I'm on this path. I'm working toward this goal. And when your mind is experiencing that peacefulness, all you need to do is walk with wisdom and a smile. You don't have to go around and tell people. There's no bragging about it. There's no boasting about it. It's just, hmm, that Buddha sure was a wise man, wasn't he? Wow, look what his teachings produced. And this is outstanding. But you have to be humble and peaceful and not look at yourself as really achieved anything. But instead, you've kind of gotten rid of all this pollution. I had one other question. It's about acceptance and the role of acceptance on this path. It seems that if we can accept that our peace of mind before we're enlightened is impermanent, it seems that if we can accept our discontent mind in a sense, it's suddenly not so difficult to deal with and perhaps it's not so discontent. I just thought I would ask you to perhaps expand on acceptance and how big of a role that plays in cultivating our mind. Yeah, you're hitting on something really important there, James. It's like once you understand the universal truth of impermanence, right, that all conditioned things or all conditioned objects are impermanent, well, then when you think about sadness and someone's like, it's impossible to eliminate sadness. Oh, so sadness is permanent. Or it's impossible to eliminate anger. Oh, so anger is permanent. Or it's impossible to eliminate guilt and shame and fear. Oh, so fear is permanent. Well, when you understand the universal truth of impermanence, then just like 
all the other conditioned objects in the world that are impermanent, then you can come to realize that the discontentedness that you experience on a day-to-day basis, that is impermanent too. Whether it's a few minutes or a few hours or a few days, it's impermanent. So it's impermanent in terms of you experience it for a period of time and then it's gone. But it's also impermanent in that you don't have to live with discontentedness this entire life. You can get to the point where it's completely eradicated because the enlightened mind is not conditioned. It's unconditioned. And that's why it's permanent. So when you accept that, okay, I just started this path a month ago, seven months ago, a year ago, three years ago. I'm on the journey. I'm on the way. Rather than craving the peaceful mind of enlightenment, you realize that the slow diminishing of discontentedness is part of the whole path. Because one of the things that the mind gets caught up in is trying to constantly figure out if you're making progress or not. Am I making progress or not? Am I making progress or not? It's almost like every meditation session or every chapter you read in the book or every whatever you're looking. Did I eliminate that fitter yet or not? Did I eliminate it yet or not? You know, have I made progress or not? Have I made progress or not? This is the mind craving. It's craving progress. So what I usually say is when you stop craving progress, you will make progress (laughs) because you have to eliminate the craving for progress. So Getting to what you're saying, James, is by accepting that on the path to enlightenment, there's going to be continuous discontentedness, but there should be a diminishing over time of discontentedness is really important. But don't allow those situations where the mind becomes discontent to fall by the wayside, because when the mind is discontent, that's the red light on the dashboard telling you hey, you still got craving, desire, attachment here. So if your mind becomes discontent and is discontent for a few hours or a few days, and then you just kind of get to the other side of that and be like, oh, well, I'm glad that's gone. Well, you haven't done the work. You haven't done the work to figure out why the mind became discontent. What's the craving, desire, attachments that produce that three days of discontentedness? Because if you can figure that out, either on your own or with your help of the teacher, then you can eradicate those craving, desire, attachments, and then you won't experience those three days of discontentedness again. So if your mind's going to go through these three days of discontentedness, be sure that you take the time to look inward and figure out what is it that's causing this. Because if I can eradicate that and I can eliminate these craving, desire, attachments, then I never have to experience this discontentedness based on those conditions ever again. And one by one, you start eradicating these. So the path to enlightenment and this continuous diminishing of discontentedness is part of it. So you might go a week or a month or two completely peaceful and then something pops up and shows you Aha, you still got craving, desire, attachment. So take that opportunity and be like, all right, let me look inside here. Rather than getting angry, rather than getting discontent that you're discontent, instead be like, hmm, the mind's discontent. I didn't like the way that guy talked to me. And that bothered the mind a lot. I felt like I wanted to put my fist through his mouth. Huh, what am I craving here? I didn't do it, thank goodness, right? So I didn't produce 
any wrong actions. I didn't produce any wrong speech, but there's definitely some wrong intentions there because I wanted to hurt this person based on what they said to me. So when you're honest with yourself like that, instead of trying to feel so enlightened all the time, when you're honest and be like, yeah, I wanted to bite that guy's head off. What was it that made me feel that way? And let me eradicate that and get rid of it so I never have to experience that again. Because after that incident, it took me five days to let go of it. And I didn't like those five days of anger and those five days of frustration and those five days of sadness. You almost have to despise discontentedness. Whenever discontentedness arises, you almost have to despise it. It's like, you ugly, miserable discontentedness. I am so interested in getting rid of you. What the heck is it that allowed you inside this mind? Because I'm interested in getting rid of you. If you live in a cold climate and you've ever been sitting in your living room with all the windows and doors closed and you felt like a cold breeze come into the room, it's like, whoa, where'd that come from? I shouldn't be feeling a cold breeze sitting in my living room. All the doors and windows are closed. There must be some weather trimming somewhere that isn't sealed. There's something in this house that isn't sealed. Let me go find what it is so I can fully protect this house and not allow the cold air to blow into the house. The same thing when you feel this discontentedness to come in, rather than just sit back on the couch and be like, oh, well, discontent, it's impermanent. It'll be gone in a few days. Instead, you know, apply your enlightenment factor of investigation to investigate what's in the mind. Apply the enlightenment factor of energy to take the energy, the effort, the motivation to figure out what is this. Track it down, almost like you're a private investigator tracking down what is causing this. So you have to almost despise discontentedness to the point where you will not leave no stone unturned in your quest to uncover what these craving desire attachments are that are bringing about this discontentedness. And when you roll up the sleeves and you do it in that way, then you will uncover one by one what are these craving desire attachments, eradicate them, and then you'll get longer and longer periods of peacefulness. So you go from one month to now you get three months. Okay. But then you have some discontentedness come in. Leave no stone unturned. Figure out if you're going to experience discontentedness, at least take the time, effort and energy to figure out what it is. Okay, now you've figured out the craving, desire, attachments. You try to eradicate them. You get the help of your teacher. Okay, you're working on that. Now you get six months and then discontentedness comes in. Okay, let's eradicate that. It's just enough of once you repeat this process enough of when discontentedness rears its ugly head, you cut it off and let it go. Eventually, there's no more craving desire attachments that are going to produce discontentedness because you've eliminated them all. And life just gets more and more enjoyable and more peaceful because all the craving desire attachments are gone. But you're living life in a very harmonious way you're able to use this wisdom to conduct your personal and professional affairs and get everything done that you need to get done in a very seamless and easy way because you're now just easily practicing these teachings with fluid as first nature. Since um, 
understanding impermanence can help us be more accepting of the discontent feelings that we have in the moment, but they ultimately serve as a reminder to apply investigation and energy to lessen the likelihood of them occurring in the future. Exactly. The discontentedness is like the alarm clock telling you like, hey, <laughs> you're sleeping, you, you need to wake up, you've got a, an issue to deal with here. Or I use the, the car analogy, right? It's like the red light. If you're driving down the street in the car, there's a red light that starts flashing on your dashboard. What are you going to do? Just keep driving and just hope that everything's all right? <laughs> just keep driving and driving and driving miles and miles and miles. It's flashing and flashing and then more lights start flashing and you got red ones and yellow ones and all these things. No, you're going to pull over to the side of the road to the nearest service station, pop your hood, start looking for fluids and different connections and sensors and different things. You're going to investigate what's wrong with this car because I need this car to get me from point A to point B and I rely on this car. The same thing, you rely on this mind. You experience everything through this mind. It needs to take you from point A to point B. So when you start seeing these red lights, when you start seeing the discontentedness flashing, not just the painful feelings, but the pleasant feelings too, and the neither painful nor pleasant, those things are flashing at you. And they're the indications telling you, hey, there's something to investigate here. So pull the car over, look inward, and start popping the hood and start looking around. And that's where you also, if you're having challenges, you reach out to your teacher or you reach out to other members of the community and you start talking and you start discussing with people, you know, like what you think it might be and get other people's insight. And then as you uncover what the craving desire attachments are, there's ways to actively eliminate them. Like if you Notice that you're yelling at your children or you're yelling at your life partner or every time your mom or your mother-in-law calls, you just you don't like it when she calls. Um, that's discontentedness telling you that there's some craving desire attachments there. And if you just kind of wait it out, then you haven't really done the work and that's going to keep repeating. That's the cycle, right? We call it the cycle of rebirth because it is. The being's going to keep being reborn into a new existence over and over again. But if you allow that craving desire attachment to stay there and it stays in the mind, it's going to create discontentedness over and over and over again. It's just like a cycle. It just keeps happening over and over and over and over again until you learn that, aha, I'm attached to this or I'm having a craving for that. And until you eliminate it, it's just going to keep happening over and over and over again because you're stuck in the cycle of rebirth. And one final question is, is there a middle way to be found in regards to this investigation? Can one investigate and be overly analytical with their mind? Or would, is this not a thing, you know, is that just practicing investigation and right mindfulness? It is possible, of course, to go too far. You know, if you're if you're just thinking and thinking and thinking and you just can't figure it out, but you just keep thinking some more, that's why you have your teacher and the community to reach out to and get some help. But also, if you didn't do any thinking at all, and as soon as you're discontent, you just contact your teacher and be like, I'm discontent, I don't know why, help me. Or you, you reach out to the other community members, I'm discontent, I don't know why, help me. You haven't done any work. So you gotta find that middle way where you're not obsessing 
about it and beating yourself up and feeling guilty and shameful, but you also can't be complacent and do no work either. You have to do some inner reflection. And then if you would like to confirm what you uncovered or you've done some inner reflection and you just can't figure it out, then reach out to other people to get some help. So you've got to practice the middle way even with that inner reflection. And then once you discover what you think it might be, then you start implementing plans to fix it and improve it. And then you fix it and you improve it and you work on it and then you monitor the results. Is it all gone? Maybe not because it's somewhat rare that you uncover an attachment and then you can eliminate it right away. It usually the attachment kind of diminishes slowly over time. So something that created a lot of anger, you might uncover it and see what it is and you work on it. And then the next time it happens, you're kind of frustrated, but it's still there. And then you're still working on it more and then you get kind of annoyed and irritated and something like that. It kind of slowly diminishes. So you have to understand that it's very rare that a craving desire attachment can just be you know, eliminated at the snap of a finger. You have to slowly chip away at it and slowly work on it and be honest with yourself. Be honest with the mind. Be objective. That when you see discontentedness arising, don't try to push it out and be like, oh, no, 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 I'm enlightened. See, that's one of the things. If you convince yourself you're enlightened, when discontentedness arises, you'd be like, oh, no, 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 that's not discontentedness because I'm enlightened. That can't be discontentedness, right? But that's just the ego still there, not truly objectively looking at what's actually happening in the mind that this discontentedness has arose. So what I share with students is that when discontentedness arises, that's actually a really good thing because it's bringing to the surface that there's still some dust in the corners of the mind. If you were cleaning a room and you thought the room was all clean and you were on your way out the door and it got caught out of the corner of your eye that there's still some dust in the corner. Well, after you've done all that work, you're going to go over to the corner and make sure you clean up all that dust in the corner. You're not going to leave any dust in the corner. So if your mind is experiencing a bit of peacefulness and that feels really great, but you notice some discontentedness arise, that's like there's still some dust in the corner. Let's go over there and address that. Let's not just try to brush it under the carpet. So essentially what an enlightened being ultimately becomes, in addition to peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, in addition to being focused, concentrated, deep memory and clarity of thought, in addition to this deep wisdom, this stability of mind, what an enlightened being ultimately ends up becoming is a problem solver. Because you're in order to get to enlightenment, there's kind of like one challenge after another, after another, after another, after another. The first challenge is just to get access to the teachings and a teacher. Then the second challenge is making space in your life to read and watch videos and come to classes. Then make space in your life to meditate. You know, so you've got all these challenges just to get started let alone all the other challenges that are going to come up as you experience discontentedness. And as you experience discontentedness, you have to go into your toolbox and pull out the Buddha's teachings and pull out the tools, you know, so you feel this jealousy arise. Whoa, what is that? What's the remedy to that? What did the Buddha teach to eliminate jealousy? 
ah, sympathetic joy. Okay, let me grab that tool and apply that. And now you're going about your life and everything's fine and you feel some selfishness arise. Whoa, what is that? What did the Buddha teach to eradicate selfishness? Ah, generosity, right? So you get more and more clarity on what are the unwholesome qualities and then what are the wholesome qualities to remedy that? And you become a problem solver where you know this tool belt, you know this toolbox so well of the Buddhist teachings that no matter what arises in the mind, you can bring out the tool that you need in order to address it. And you get so good at that that you eradicate all the discontentedness and the mind's peaceful, calm, serene, content with joy. Well, once the mind's enlightened, and you're completely peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy with this deep wisdom. That's why I say that's like the beginning of the rest of your life. Because now the mind is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. You've got this deep wisdom. You're a problem solver, right? You've got this concentration, this clarity of mind. You're a problem solver. Okay, you want to start your own business? Go ahead. You're enlightened. You're like completely capable of doing that. And you will set up that business in such a wholesome way in order to produce an amazing amount of wholesome karma. Oh, you you have a family or you have a career or I've met people who actually had companies and you know 250, 300 employees and as they got closer and closer to enlightenment, they sold their companies and became a taxi driver, right? They didn't even want to be involved in running their own business anymore. So it can go both ways. You know, running your own business and being super rich, an enlightened being knows that that's not what leads to a peaceful mind. But it doesn't mean you can't do that if the mind is enlightened. So you can have a taxi driver, a garbage collector, a street sweeper who's enlightened. You can have a politician, a billionaire, a millionaire, a airplane pilot, a doctor. You can have all these people who are functioning through these teachings with loving kindness, with compassion, with sympathetic joy, equanimity, generosity, practicing those right view, right intention, right speech, right action all the way through. And more and more as beings do this, they will function in the world very peacefully and they will be a problem solver. So whether it's things at home or whether it's things in your relationship or it's things in your professional life, in order to get to enlightenment, you have to solve a lot of challenges with this tool belt that the Buddha gives us. So by the time you actually are experiencing enlightenment, where the mind's been peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy for multiple years at a time, you will have resolved so many challenges and problems in your own life that that wisdom will be so permeating in the mind that you can literally do anything you want in the world and it will turn out completely well for you because you know how to make wise decisions in order to implement things that are only going to produce wholesome results. Because in the unenlightened state, we make decisions and we think we're on the right path and we're trying to do good things in the world. And then sometimes they fall apart. And sometimes we have to backslide or sometimes we have to change directions, you know, or sometimes the government comes in and collapses what it is that we're involved in and what we're doing. But if you're kind of building your life through the Buddhist teachings, through good, wholesome decision making, 
any kind of effort that you put out through these teachings and practicing these teachings, it's always going to produce wholesome results. We're in the unenlightened state when the mind's polluted with craving, anger, and ignorance, those three unwholesome roots. You're making decisions that are tainted with craving, anger, and ignorance. Therefore, when you make decisions, not everything's going to produce wholesome results. You're going to have some challenges. But as the mind becomes more and more enlightened and it's eradicated those three unwholesome roots, it's now arisen these three wholesome roots of generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. So now all your decisions are going to be coming from generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom and these good wholesome teachings. So every time you make a decision, it's going to produce wholesome results. It never creates unwholesome results for you because you know so well how to resolve problems and how to make wise decisions. So that's why I say attaining enlightenment is like the beginning of the rest of your life. Thank you, David. That's all that we have for today. All right. So on Sunday, we're doing a special class. The group learning program has pretty much officially ended for this iteration, and we're going to be starting again on September 1st. But this Sunday, I'm kind of doing a special class that isn't about content that's in the book, so there's no chapter to read. There is content on this in other books that I've written, but just not in the book that we're using for this group learning program, volume one. It's in other volumes throughout the book series. It's called The Five Hindrances. These are the five primary things that are going to hinder you from attaining enlightenment. So it's really important to understand what these are so that as they arise in the mind, you can identify them. But then the other thing that I'm going to share in the class is how to remedy them, how to eliminate them from the mind. Because once you identify that the mind has one of these hindrances, then you would like to know what's the solution? How do I solve this challenge? How do I solve this problem? So I'm going to give you what the five hindrances are, explain them in detail, and then I'm going to give you the antidotes or the remedies to those so that as you're on this path, if you see any of these arise, you can eliminate them or rectify them. So that's going to be on Sunday. And then next Wednesday, that's going to be the official start or the official restart of this group learning program. I've seen some different emails and different people that have signed up. So we'll see who ends up uh, showing up. But it looks like we're going to have some new students. And some of you guys might choose to stick around and take this program again. Like I mentioned, if you're looking for some insight on what it's like to take this program more than once, James is an excellent person to reach out to because he's taken this pretty much three times now. And I think he's intending to stick around for the next one as well. So he would probably share with you that he's learning more and more because think about it. It's not about going through a program once and then be like, all right, I'm done. I learned everything because you go through a program once from the research that I've seen. Whenever you go through one particular learning event, you've learned about 10 percent of what's really being offered in that program. And then when you take it a second time, you learn like 30 percent of what's being offered. And you go through it a third time. It's like learning 60 or 80 percent. It's kind of like if you've ever watched a movie, the first time you kind of understood it a little bit. The second time you learn it a little bit more. The third time you pick up things that you didn't pick up the first time. So 
You may decide that you'd like to go through this program again more than once, or you might decide to move on to the Saturday class, which is the Pali Canon in English program, where we study volumes two through 13 of this book series. Either way, whether you completely stop learning and go off and do something else, or you continue to repeat this program and or the Pali Canon in English program, I'm here to help you and support you and motivate you, encourage you along this path. You can just reach out and let me know how you would like help or what guidance you need. But Sunday, we're going to be studying that special topic called the five hindrances. And then on Wednesday, we'll restart from the very beginning. And remember, if you ever miss a class, these classes are recorded in Facebook, YouTube, and in our podcast as well. So thank you all for joining. Appreciate that you're deciding to learn and actively understand the Buddhist teachings, implementing them more and more into your practice. This is the enlightenment factor of investigation and the enlightenment factor of energy that by you investigating the teachings and putting in the energy to do it, then the Buddha talks about how joy arises in the mind. Because, you know, in the unenlightened state where we have all these challenges, all these struggles, all these problems, and we don't know the answers, it can be pretty disheartening. It can be pretty demotivating. But when you start learning the Buddhist teachings and you start seeing the wisdom through investigating his teachings and through applying energy to learn them, this can really spring up joy because the things that you thought were so difficult in life, and perhaps you might have had a certain perspective that life was a bit miserable in some respects, you can start seeing the light. Like, oh my goodness, there's actually answers here of how to solve these challenges. So life doesn't become so unbearable anymore and so difficult, still challenging, but there's wisdom here in the Buddhist teachings to help you get over those challenges. So that can be one of the things that really helps to liberate the mind is that you see that you're not stuck in a rut or you're not stuck in a mud pit that you can actually get out of this discontentedness through investigating the teachings applying some energy and enthusiasm, motivation to learn and practice them. And this can spring up joy in the mind that, wow, there's answers here to solve all of this. So congratulations to you for completing this program. Thank you for choosing to study and learn over the last seven months. I imagine that there's things that you've learned and that have maybe helped you. Maybe there's some things that you didn't quite understand 100% and you'd like to get some more insight on. So feel free to reach out as you need help. I would just like to thank you all for dedicating your time, effort, energy, and resources to this program. If you've made any donations or any offerings to me along the way, I would like to offer my sincere appreciation and gratitude for the offerings that you provided to help support this program in terms of being able to afford to purchase things like Zoom and all the other things that I need in order to host these programs. So I appreciate all your offerings and all your generosity, all your loving kindness and everything that you put into making this program really wonderful and really special. Even just your attendance, your participation in meditation, and even just asking questions during class. And your questions help you to learn and they help other people to learn too. So thank you so much. Have a lovely rest of your day and we'll see you next time. Sawadee 
Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.